Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Good day to you, kind sir. Good day to you, madam. <laughs> um, I am excited to be back in this chair doing this thing even though I have to say I hate this chair yeah and I need a new chair we need to get you a new chair you you had a nice chair mm-hmm. but then you sold it by mistake I did yeah and uh, then you were sitting on the ottoman and that gave you back issues it did and now you're yeah. sitting in uh, what appears to be uh, the original one of the original chairs from the Mayflower <laughs> yeah it's it, not a good chair except it's not in very good condition no um, so I've got a I've got a get on the the search for a new chair. I was actually talking about a I think this last yes, this last episode that we recorded with a coworker of mine um where we discussed uh ripping out the nipple ring and he was like, "Why would you say mm. that?" Yeah. And I was like, "Well, that was from a documentary that we watched once about the insane clown posse." Uh, it, Gathering I, of the Juggalos. Yep. And yeah, it didn't rip his nipple ring out. The guy bit his nipple off. That's right. Oh, uh, both so, of them. He had like two band aids over. Yeah. Which actually spurred a really fun conversation with said co worker. So he's like, Did I ever tell you about my brother's nipples? And I was like, No. <laughs> That's a strange conversation over No, you have not told me about your brother's nipples. And he was like, yeah, okay. So years ago, he did one of those like polar plunge things, right? Right. Um, so it's freezing and he jumped into the water. And when he jumped into the water, his nipple exploded. What? No, that's not a thing. Yeah. It like, it, it burst open <gasps> And so now he has one in any nipple and one outie nipple. That's a thing. It's a thing. I didn't I've know it was a thing. Never heard of that. Me neither. I've heard of freezing your tits off, mm-hmm. but holy crap, not literally. His nipple exploded. Good God. So let that be a lesson to you polar jumpers, which by the way is a big thing around here in Maine this time of year. It's the only thing you can do this time of year. Yep, that and drink. 
and I, I, think I'll, I imagine they yeah, go, intertwine kind of, a lot. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably the latter happens before the former. Mm, for for sure. sure. It's the box of oddities and it is your turn to go first. Oh, excellent. <clears throat> Dr. Samuel West. Um, he's a psychologist and he is also the creator of a museum called the Museum of Failure. And Ooh. he was uh, reading an article about meat consumption and the uh, worldwide environmental effects uh, based on factory farming. And he became very interested in finding alternate protein sources for us as humans, because uh, he doesn't see meat eating as being sustainable, sustainable. long term. Okay. And um, so he's doing this research about alternate protein sources. And throughout his studies, d he discovered that there were a lot of foods all over the world that we don't see that we uh, might think of as weird or strange or dare I say disgusting. Uh-huh which led to his new project called the Disgusting Food Museum. I love this. Which is in Sweden. Okay, okay. So this is a museum in a city called Malmo, M-A-L-M-O, Malmo, Sweden, uh, where visitors can smell, touch, and taste 80 different foods that are considered disgusting across the world All right, give, give me a, a cross segment here i'm doing it right now excellent so west who am on the website his title is curator and chief disgustologist <laughs> uh, he said if you ask people if they want to eat bugs they say no that's gross and that's the obstacle but he's hoping that he can make them reconsider so some of the things that you will find in the disgusting food museum uh hakarl which is a fermented shark from iceland uh, bull penis is available that's at the disgusting <clears throat> food museum wow that's not something you'd find at a ballpark was that meant to be a pun no <laughs> quay mm -hmm. was one of the items uh, which you and i have a little bit of experience with yeah well yeah that's that's guinea pig that's roasted guinea pig yeah and very uh, popular in the andes yeah in in ecuador which is a place we love to go and, and visit that is um a delicacy it is a traditional dish and you'll just see skinned guinea pigs on spits being roasted on the street corners yeah and we respect their culture you know that's cool it's just as gringos, mm -hmm. you know, we look at it and go, um, let's go over here. They have a nice rice dish. And that's part of the the point of this museum is to uh, introduce people to these foods that, yes, sure. are, are different mm -hmm. and maybe disgusting to us. Uh, but also they are foods. They are things that people eat. Sure. And uh, culture plays such a big role in what we consider food. Uh, fruit bats also uh, on the menu at the now, disgusting food. Now, do they food do museum. fruit bats taste like fruit? I don't think so. Hmm. Cher cherry's always my favorite. Surstroming, which I'm not sure that I've pronounced that correct, but that's uh, fermented herring, and uh, that is also featured at the museum in a couple of different ways, and we'll get into that. 
Other notable foods in the exhibit include spicy rabbit heads from China, fermented mare's milk from Kazakhstan, an Asian wine made of baby mice, and sheep eyeball juice. Well, that sounds that just sounds delicious. The museum's employees have sampled about 50 of the 80 disgusting foods on display. Is that a prerequisite to work there? I think you have to have tried at least something. Yeah, yeah. You have to know what you're talking about. Right. And uh, Andreas Ahrens, who is the museum's director, his favorite exhibit is the Kasu Marzu, which is the uh, maggot cheese from Sardinia. It's quoted here. uh, You said maggot and cheese in the same sentence. Yeah. Oh, also, if you're eating right now, you should stop. Yep. I absolutely love the Kasu Marzu, he revealed. It's a beautiful exhibit. The larvae can jump up to 15 centimeters, so you have to cover your eyes when you're eating it. Otherwise, the maggots will jump into your eyes. Yeah. So you need protective eyewear. Any dairy product that requires protective eyewear, I will pass. You're out. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Aaron's explained another goal is to inspire visitors not to judge the food of other cultures as critically, but realize that disgust is a personal thing and it's subjective. I get that. It's shaped by our upbringing, which I try to keep in mind when I think of, let's say... The Sukayu cheese, which is made from the stomach of a baby goat filled with its mother's milk, which is reported to taste a little bit like gasoline. Why don't you just drink gasoline? Oh, gasoline's not food. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Durian, also, of course. uh, Oh, that's that that fruit that makes people throw up when they smell it. That's right. It is the world's smelliest fruit, described by one food writer as a mix of onions, turpentine, and gym socks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what is that show that that, uh, that used to be on the Food Channel, the Travel Network, that disgusting sh- uh, food show where the guy travels all over the world and eats horrible-looking things? Bizarre. Bizarre foods. or I can't remember. Yeah, it was on I, years ago. I enjoyed that. It was a pretty good show. He was a good host. Yeah, he was, and he ate some of this durian fruit, but the people that gave it to him made him go out in the yard to eat it. <laughs> go sit outside on the gazebo. You're not coming in here. And though, though we do see these things as gross, again, the point of the museum is to expand sure. our understanding of cultures and uh, try to like desensitize us Maybe. Um, to th- the idea of what is gross because insects, great source of protein. And that is true. And uh, maybe something that we should consider as a food source. But I, c- I can't remember the um, statistic off the top of my head, but you would be shocked to know how many insects we eat just while we're sleeping. Well, that I have seen those statistics as well. They're highly debated. Oh, are they? I heard once that like we eat six spiders a year because they get into our mouth while we sleep. I can't, I don't know. I mean, I believe it in this house because <laughs> I do not understand how the cobwebs appear uh, the way that they do. But it, anyway, we're getting sidetracked. So <laughs> to, uh, to prove the point about how what we know uh, determines what we think is gross, American foods such as root beer and jello are in the museum alongside the fried tarantula and the cooked guinea pigs. Really? If you give root beer to a Swede, according to Aaron's, 
They will spit it out and tell you that it tastes like toothpaste. Yeah, really interesting. Um, toothpaste. But, huh. of course, we know the flavor. Sure. We expect it. It's root beer, so yeah. we like it. And it's also kind of makes you consider what we like. And, I mean, our brains are really the things that, that tell us all of our senses and what they're doing. It's so, what we get used to. Yeah. I think there's a certain amount of desensitization that goes along right. with the bombardment. There's a certain fast food chain that I didn't eat at for many, many, many years. And many, 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 many years. And then one day I was running late for something. I needed something to eat. And I had a breakfast sandwich from this fast food restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I realized this tastes like plastic. Yeah. But only because you'd been separated from it right. for a while. Yeah. Huh. And it's interesting because I used to really enjoy that particular breakfast sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it doesn't taste like food to me anymore. Interesting. It, yeah. It tastes like a product. Uh, and uh, that's not to say that I want to eat testicles. It's just that, oh, come uh, you know, we try to be... Try not to be so judgy. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, we're sitting here going, ooh, ooh, and from our perspective, ooh. Mm-hmm. But come on, root beer? Keep that in mind. Root beer is gross to Swedish people. <laughs> the Swedes hate it. Spam also featured at the Disgusting Foods Museum. I've never had spam. Um, I I think I have an idea of what it's like. Mm-hmm. but um, I've had it. I've yeah. had it. Oh, sure. I've had it a lot. When I was growing up as a kid, that was, you know, a staple back in those days. But that's just a meat product. That's not yeah. even like real meat. Well, it was developed during World War II mm-hmm. for the troops. And interestingly, there was a tribe in Papua New Guinea that uh, they gave a lot of the surplus spam to. Some of the troops did mm-hmm. during World War II, and they loved it. Because in their opinion, it tasted like long pig. Humans. Humans. Human meat. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And of so, course, those were your ancestors. No, we're, we don't know that. So um, when evaluating the uh, whether or not foods should be featured at the museum, they considered not only taste, smell, and texture, but also background, like whether or not animals were ill-treated during the making of the food. So foie gras, for instance, ah. featured at the museum. Certain types of pork, uh, which may be considered as tasty, are also on display because of their connection to the factory farming industry. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the way that pigs are held in factory farms and you look at the antibiotics that are used to keep them, uh, quote-unquote, well, uh, when they're kind of mashed into that that living environment, um, they can be potentially life-threatening for humans. And so those foods are also featured in the museum because it's disgusting. Right, right. Interesting. So even though they touch upon some pretty serious subjects, they've also got a great... Ooh, I just smashed my straw. They've also got a great sense of humor about what it is that they're presenting. So uh, one of the features of the museum is a photo booth. And uh, you can have your photo (laughs) taken in there. While you're eating maggot cheese? No, while they're wafting in the smell of surstroming, which is the fermented herring uh, traditionally eaten at the end of August in Iceland. And apparently it is horrendous. How long do they ferment it for? 
The herring are caught in April and May when they're in prime condition, just about to spawn. They are put into a strong brine for about 20 hours, which draws out the blood, after which the heads are removed, the fish are gutted, and put into a weaker brine solution. The barrels are placed at a temperature-controlled room kept at... 59 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Canning takes place at the beginning of July, uh, 10 days prior to the final product being distributed to wholesalers. It doesn't sound as horrible as maggot cheese. I, you know, everything there is uh, debatable, I suppose. I don't think that uh, Jello, you know, is super gross. But then I think about it and I go, oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's super kinda, gross. Kinda, when you think about how it's made and what mm. it's made of. Yeah, sure. But at least it has a great name, Jello, as opposed to sheep eyeball juice. <laughs> so, in addition to the awesome photo booth of Stink, they've also <laughs> got this incredible feature your tickets. When you buy your ticket for the museum, it is uh, flat, but if you open it up, it's a barf bag. And that's uh, great marketing. It really is. And Aaron's the the director um, has said that his wife is responsible for two of the nine vomits that they've had at the museum. No kidding. Mm -hmm. Now, who knows how many were in the privacy of the bathroom that people made it there. But these are the ones that uh, Hmm. didn't make it. Wow. Uh, Alongside the Sweden branch, the museum has opened a three-month pop-up in downtown L.A. in the Architecture and Design Museum, and that's actually going on right now through February 17th. So if you're in the L.A. area, you can see the uh, Disgusting Foods Museum pop-up. Oh, my God. If you're one of the L.A. freaks, go there and try the maggot cheese and let us know. Let us know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. or whatever. Just go there and try something. I want pictures of you putting that stuff in your mouth. Yes, please. And the reactions afterwards. That's pretty much what I have. (laughs) That's it, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fascinating and disgusting. Yeah, right? My interest is peaked and my stomach has turned just a little bit. Halfway through and you're still awake? It must be time for That Thing in the Middle. Today's Thing in the Middle, some of the strangest landmarks in the world. Number five, the Kindlefresser Fountain. In the beautiful and quaint city of Bern, Switzerland, you'll find the Child Eater statue. Oh my God. A statue, the statue is a cannibal consuming a baby with a few more infants in his sling next in line to be chomped on. He's just trying to save money by packing a lunch. Number four, the hanging statue. It looks like a guy about to plummet to his death. It's actually a bronze statue of a man hanging from a building in Prague in the Czech Republic. Not just any man, though. The artist David Cerny says it's supposed to be Sigmund Freud hanging by one hand. Number three, Le Pouce. P-O-U-C-E. Pouce. 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 I've heard it all those ways. It's a 40-foot thumb. Where is that? It's in Paris. A giant 40-foot thumb. Yeah. Ooh, I'm looking at a picture of it here. Wow. I don't get it. Number two, the hanging rhino. In Potsdam, Germany, you'll find uh, a lot of interesting things, but nothing weirder and more disturbing than the hanging rhino sculpture. There isn't much information on this. Peculiar landmark. It was uh, created by Italian artist Stefano Bombaderi. And we know this. It's very, very heavy. It's just a big bronze rhino hanging from straps above a bus stop. It's weird. 
And number one, the upside-down Charles Latrobe statue. He was apparently the first lieutenant governor of Australia. Why is he upside-down? The artist said that's what would make the statue memorable. This was in Australia? Yeah. That's why it's upside-down. It's right-side-up for us here in the United States. What direction would it go in if you fleshed it? <laughs> the other way. I'm so confused. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. When a thing works for a lot of people, you've got to say, why does this thing work for a lot of people? And over 75,000 photographers, designers, event professionals, and other solo entrepreneurs have saved hundreds, if not thousands of hours a year with HoneyBook. And this is especially helpful if you have a creative type of business, say you're a photographer or an artist or something like that. You want to be spending more time on your art and your creativity and your event planning or whatever it may be. HoneyBook gives you that opportunity. You remember that episode of Friends where Phoebe and Monica were doing the catering for that funeral and that chick wouldn't pay Phoebe at the end? No, wouldn't pay Monica at the end. Yeah. And then Phoebe had to go in and be like the muscle for it. And she was like, yo, you're going to pay us. Blah. And then they, were, they got a van, but that's not the point. That's mm -hmm. um, the thing is sometimes getting paid is the worst part of a small business. And that should be the best part of a small business because you've worked for this and you should get your money and should be like, yay, this is great. But in, in some cases, you have to work real hard for that when you've already done work. And you shouldn't have to do extra work in order to get your money the, for the thing that you did the work for. And HoneyBook can help you do just that. You can uh, do, do custom branded proposals and contracts, even get e-signatures, generate your invoices and get paid faster, all within one online system. They are entrepreneurs, so they know what entrepreneurs need, and they use technology to their advantage. Technology is amazing. Use it. And that's why we've partnered with HoneyBook.com to offer Box of Oddities listeners 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with promo code BOX. So get started at HoneyBook.com today and use promo code BOX for 50% off your first year. Once again, that's HoneyBook.com. Promo code BOX. The podcast world is growing bigger every day, and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's Tip Jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and we're adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya. That's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A. And don't forget to follow the Box of Oddities once you're there. This is the Box of Oddities. Your mileage may vary. Got this email at curator at theboxofoddities.com. Hey, Kat and Jethro, I've been listening to you guys since the beginning. I'm so excited to get to see you in a month. When you first announced the show, I had my card out and was ready to buy the VIP tickets, but my boyfriend discouraged me from doing it. Well, we are no longer dating. <laughs> Because he obviously has very poor taste. <laughs> As of last night, I bought tickets and booked my Airbnb. Thank you guys for keeping me company through shitty breakups, educating me on all things unusual, and most of all, making me laugh. If you two know of any awesome single guys, feel free to send them my way. You guys are the best. 
Heather. And then she writes, P.S. Thanks for choosing a venue drivable from Columbus, Ohio. She's <laughs> driving from Columbus, Ohio. Oh so gosh. if there are any single guys that are going to be at the Nashville show in, at Zany's uh, on the 27th of February. Do not approach Heather because that's creepy. Stay the but... hell away from her. <laughs> For the love of God, oh, don't make us separate you. Um, uh, thank you, Heather. I just, I don't know. It makes me feel nice and also bad at the same time. I feel like everyone should be nice to everyone all the time. Yeah. And that's just not how it works. Unfortunately. But you're safe here with us, Heather, except for that single guy who's going to be stalking you in Nashville. And if you would like to join us, tickets are still available. Yeah, you can get them at the Zanies website or at theboxofoddities.com. Are you ready for this? I think you're going to like this topic. Okay. I think this is right in your wheelhouse. I'm excited. Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay. We, we all know the story of the assassination of uh, Abraham Lincoln. We do. We've heard it a million times, but there are a lot of things that maybe you haven't heard that are really freaking weird. Really? All right. Abraham Lincoln. We saw his hat. Yeah, we did at, <laughs> at the Smithsonian. <laughs> that was pretty cool. It was life changing. Okay, go ahead. Abraham Lincoln, of course, the 16th president of the United States. He was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth on the 14th of April, 1865. He was attending a play at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. The, uh, the, the play was Our American Cousin. He was shot in the head while watching the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died the following morning, 7.22 a.m. at uh, the Peterson House, which was a building right across the street opposite of Ford Theater. Uh, He was the first American president to be assassinated. Lincoln's funeral and burial marked an extended period of national mourning. They, you, you probably remember, he, they put him on a train. He was embalmed, which was... I do not remember. Well, I don't um, mean personally. But I have seen videos. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you remember hearing this story. <laughs> now, if you, if you recall, we've talked about this, embalming really became popular during the Civil War. Right as a practical means of retrieving dead bodies and bringing them home for, for burial. So Lincoln was embalmed and they put him on a train and he did pretty much a death tour. Right. They tootled him about. Yeah. He, uh, he left Washington DC and they made a very long journey up and around and eventually to, uh, Illinois where. Wasn't he like in a, in a, what's it called? Not a cart, but a, you know, like a, like a buggy with glass sides so that you could see the, yeah, the, old the coffin the inside. Old yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's how they transported him to and from the, the uh, train platform. And that that was pretty standard, though. Those old hearses, those were pretty standard. Of course, his was probably far more fancy than I would uh, imagine. most people's. Um, this occurred at the very end of the American Civil War. The assassination was part of a larger conspiracy intended by Booth to revive the Confederate cause by eliminating the three most important officials in the U.S. government. Um, Those officials would have been, of course, Lincoln, Vice President Andrew Johnson, and Secretary of State William H. Seward. Uh, Conspirators Lewis Powell and David Harold were assigned to kill Seward, and and George Atzerodt was tasked with killing Vice President Andrew Johnson. Lincoln, of course, that was successful, but uh, Seward was only wounded, and Johnson's attacker lost his nerve. Were they all supposed to do it on the same day? Yeah, it was all supposed to happen at the same time. This was a coordinated attack. I see. After a dramatic initial escape, Booth was killed 
at the climax of a 12-day manhunt, Powell, Harold, Edgeralt, and Mary Surratt were later hanged for their roles in the conspiracies. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the story that, uh, you know, most of us know. Right. Here are some little known facts about it. People often ask, well, where was the Secret Service? Lincoln was just sitting there in the box at Ford Theater. Well, Secret Service, they were technically not mobilized yet because... In a very ironic twist, Lincoln signed the bill to create the Secret Service the night before he was assassinated. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Isn't that weird? Yeah. If he had done it maybe a week before, then maybe the Secret Service would have been there, but he just created it hours before he was assassinated, so they hadn't mobilized yet. That sucks. Yeah. But he did have a bodyguard. The guy's name was John Parker. Where was Lincoln's bodyguard? Where was Lincoln's bodyguard? Well, he went across the street to a saloon and knocked a few back during the play. Oh, no. Yeah, he was next door during intermission. He went during intermission and then he got a little tipsy and then stayed and never came back. (gasps) And was not there. And so there are those. Kevin Costner would have never done that. No, he never would have. So there were those who thought, and and still there's some suspicion that maybe he had. he was on the take. Yeah, he was. There's something there that wasn't quite right. He should have been there guarding the door to the president's box. The Lincolns were in the booth with Henry, a diplomat, Henry Reed Rathbone. It's hard to say. It is. And his wife. Um, The Grants were supposed to go. Ulysses S. Grant and Mrs. Grant and Mrs. Grant said no because she hated Mary Lincoln. Oh, she hated Mary Todd Lincoln. Mary Todd Lincoln was not popular. She was a strange lady. Yeah. um, Well, first of all, way to go, Mrs. Grant, for uh, being true to yourself and not forcing yourself to hang out with a couple just because, you know, you feel obligated to. Also, side note, in the movie Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant is played by one of my very favorite actors, Jared Harris, who is a bona fide heartthrob. Okay, continue. All right. Well, what happened to the other people in in President Lincoln's box? The answer is uh, they they didn't fare too well, not as badly as, uh, you know, Lincoln. Um, But Booth, after shooting Lincoln, he slashed Rathbone's left arm. And while Rathbone eventually recovered from the stabbing, he undoubtedly suffered from some post-traumatic stress from this. How could could one not? So many years later, just before Christmas, 1983, he killed his wife, the other member of the, of the party in the box. Right. And then tried to stab himself to get uh, to death, but he survived and lived the rest of his life in an asylum. What a poor little nugget. And the first person or the fourth person in the box, of course, was Mary Todd Lincoln. She was also sent to an asylum in 1875. Now, the Rathbone? Yeah. Rathbone. Henry Reed Rathbone. They attribute his his incident to PTSD because of the incident? Well, there's some speculation. I guess after that happened, he just never emotionally recovered from it. I see. That's rough. Because I don't want to feel bad for him, and yet... I yeah, a little. yeah, yeah. But I don't also. 
So John Wilkes Booth, what was his deal? Um, This was not the first time that he threatened the president at Ford's Theater two years prior to the shooting on November 9th in 1863. He was in um, a play called The Marble Heart, and both President Lincoln and Mary Todd Lincoln were there. And at least a, a couple of times during their performances, Booth used instances in the play to hurl insults at the president. I guess he was making up his own script. He was going off book there. A third time, he even pointed at Lincoln, which the president noted afterward. Uh, it was a harbinger of violence to come, many yeah, say. I would stop going to his plays. But he's so he was so good. I don't know. So what other tragedies happened at Ford's Theater? Which, by the way, you and I were going to go to when we were in D.C. and never got around to it. We, we ran to, out of time. We have to go. There's too much to see. There is too much to see, being history geeks like we are. So what else happened at uh, Ford's Theater? According to Ripley's John Wilkes Booth brother, Edwin, died on June 7th, 1893, at the exact time his funeral took place at the Church of the Transfiguration in New York City. At that exact moment, a 40-foot section collapsed from the third floor of Ford's Theater, killing 22 people. Oh, my goodness. That's a weird coincidence. Edwin Booth, John's brother, was far more well-recognized as an actor. Right. He was... He was I, I think John Wilkes was a little jealous of Edwin. Coincidentally, Edwin saved the life of Lincoln's son months before the assassination. Robert Lincoln fell onto a New Jersey train track before Edwin pulled him to safety. Uh, we've talked about that, um, I think, in a previous yeah. box, um, because if that is so such an incredible, uh, interesting time it's a it's an interesting thing it's very interesting and coincidental and how history bumps up against itself in many ways so what were president lincoln's last words well the president everything i've read about him and certainly daniel day lewis's portrayal of him in the movie leads you to believe that he was you know he was a tender-hearted affectionate man chatty very chatty during the play lincoln leaned over and took his wife's hand. He held her hand, something that was considered rather scandalous in those days. Oh, really? Yeah, that was a public display of affection. You don't hold the other sex's hand in public. I didn't realize that it was that extreme. Yeah. Well, this was Victorian times. and Still. Mary Todd Lincoln asked her husband what Rathbone's fiance, what she would think. And the president responded, quote, she won't think anything about it. And then he was shot and killed. Those were his last words, according to witnesses. Aww. Yeah, it's kind of sad. His last thing was to show affection to his lady. I like that. Yeah. That reminds me of um, the Robert Kennedy assassination when he was shot at the Diplomat Hotel in Los Angeles and he was lying on the kitchen floor the last thing he said was, is everyone all right? I can't. That makes me have feelings. He's lying there with a bullet in his head. I can't have. Nope. And he's concerned about the people around him. Yeah. Any hoozle. So where was Lincoln taken after he was shot? As we mentioned, he was taken to the Peterson house. Now, William A. Peterson was a tailor. And apparently having Lincoln die in his bedroom affected him as well, too. He. Aww had some PTSD or something. 
Peterson, uh, in 1871, just a few years later, took too much alcohol and opiates and was found passed out at a local park bench. After medics tried to pump his stomach, he passed away. His wife died exactly three months to the day later. Another strange Lincoln assassination connected coincidence. Is it a coincidence? I don't know. What, that she died three days, three months later to the day? Well, how'd she die? I don't know. I don't know. I I just Googled the Peterson house, though, and it's lovely. It is. It is. I'm looking at pictures of it myself. So, of course, Mary Todd Lincoln, after the assassination, was rightly and understandably distraught. This was a woman who suffered with depression anyway. Right. And she had lost two sons. She's, she was very interested in spiritualism at the time, which was becoming very popular seances right. and communication with the dead. But she did find comfort with a family friend, Dr. Anson G. Henry, who moved back to Illinois with the former first lady in 1865 in May, one month after the assassination. Uh, unfortunately, just a few months later, uh, he drowned when the ship he was a passenger on, Brother Jonathan, sank off the coast of California. He was, she was having some bad luck there. Aww. After Abe died, Mary wouldn't leave the White House for weeks. I heard that they had to kind of like make her leave. President Johnson uh, at the time felt like he couldn't really do that. He was like, ah, let her grieve and then, you know, she'll leave when she's ready. So he ran the country from the Treasury Department. <laughs> <laughs> Just let her have the White House That's for now. Nice. And then there's Lincoln's son, Robert, who rose to the rank of, I think, Secretary of War at one point. Robert was in the White House when his father was shot at the theater. Mm-hmm. On July 2nd, 1881, He was with President James Garfield at the local railroad station when Garfield was shot. Right. And then on September 6, 1901, when McKinley was shot, Robert Lincoln had just arrived in the city and was on his way to see him. Yeah. I remember hearing that uh, Robert Lincoln had a a real hard time uh, because it seemed like he was like the Mothman or something. And I mentioned Ripley's, where I'm getting a lot of this information from, um, at their museum in Baltimore, which is called uh, the Baltimore Auditorium, odd Auditorium. <gasps> they have a, a, a pistol, a small Derringer, which is inscribed with the name J. Wilkes Booth, and it's thought to have been left behind on the stage the night of the assassination that's presently held at their um, museum in Baltimore, if you want to go see it. Whoa. I think that they're couching this as... It is believed that that's where this was found. So it's not definitely his right. his Derringer, but they seem to think that the indications point to it being exactly that. Wow. So we have to go there, too. <sighs> there are so many places. We just don't have time for all of this. Anyway, that's what I got for you. Wow. That's, yeah. I... There are so many things surrounding Abraham Lincoln's presidency that, I mean, you could take any chunk of the the presidency timeline and be like, okay, here's weird stuff about the first six months of his presidency. And yeah. here's weird stuff about every Tuesday that he was, I mean, it seems like there's just a lot of weird stuff connected to Lincoln. Oh, absolutely. And then the uh, Lincoln-Kennedy connections. Yeah. There's just so much. The Lincoln-Kennedy connection, we covered that. That in a uh, that was in a in an earlier box. You can dig through that and dig through those boxes and find that one. I don't know which one it was, but uh, there were some very strange coincidences there, like 
Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy. Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln. Mm. You know, all kinds of strange stuff. Anyway, the Box of Oddities, we're here for you twice a week because we care. And, and we think you're real nice. Yeah. I just, I don't know. We've had such an amazing year. And I just, I, I think it's incredible the, the people that have reached out to us and the stories that we've heard and, and that we've been allowed to, to be a part of your business as well as you, you coming into ours. And I don't know. I just think it's, it's, real, it's real nice. It's a nice little freak family. Keep sending us your stories. Yeah, we love it. And we will see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>